Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. My name's Rain Wilson, and I played Dwight Kurt Schrute. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Office Deep Dive. We're back, baby. That's right. We are back. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, you are going to be listening to the second part of my conversation with Rain Wilson. So just like with Angela, I wanted to save this part of Rain's interview for our Camera as Character series because Dwight had one of the most interesting relationships with the camera on the show. Sometimes it was like he was hiding from it. He hated it. But at other times, the camera was his friend, like in the scene from Stress Relief where he's lighting the fire. He thinks... The camera gets what I'm doing, right? And we also talked about many other important topics like Rain's dynamic with Steve Carell, whether The Office could indeed be made today, and who in the cast was the most likely to get fired. As always, Rain had so many insightful things to say. I just love talking to him about our show, though... I hate that I'm being so nice to him, but you know what? I, I can't help it. I love him. You love him. America loves him. Dwight is everyone's favorite. I'm not bitter about that at all. I'm a little bitter about that. Uh, but without further ado, here he is, Rain Wilson. Bubble and squeak. I 
love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. When we talk about what was unique about the show, um, the camera is the character. Um, to me, what's impressive and what I'm tremendously proud of in the show is that every shot wasn't about how can we cover this person the best? How can we get this? Or even how can we get this joke? But is the camera there? Where is it? What story is that telling? Because we're, we're supposedly seeing this through a documentarian's lens. I mean, your interactions with the cameras elevated Dwight to an even higher level than it was. Yeah, so there was a constant uh, negotiation about where the cameras should be for a scene. And Greg was very exacting about it. Randall Einhorn, one of our chief directors, Matt Sohn, one of our chief directors and, and cameramen, there was this constant dialogue, and it was very thorough. Nothing was done half-assed. You know, it was just kind of like, well, you know, we'd rehearse a scene. Maybe the director would have it plotted out, but the writer would come in and say, well, if the camera was here, when he says that thing and then looks away, we can rack focus to the person in the foreground and get their reaction, and the other camera can get this other reaction. And then, you know, so it was there was a lot of calculation that went on. The use of Venetian blinds was extraordinary. How do we shoot through the blinds? Is this a spy shot? Is it on this side of the blinds, on this side? Are they aware the camera is there? And so if you look at the episodes, it's almost mathematical about, you know, how can we position the camera so it captures seemingly effortlessly, captures the greatest number of reactions and interactions to bring out as much humanity and comedy at the same time. So, you know, when you would prep an episode, you would, you know, have the AD there and you'd kind of read through the scene and you'd think about where it would need to go. And you also didn't want to just always repeat. You didn't want to just always have like, you know, we'll just put the cameras in Michael's office, just shoot over one guy's left shoulder and the other guy's right shoulder. And just, you, you wanted to find new original ways of shooting stuff. And um, it was very precise. And sometimes it was a real puzzle. One of the challenges I remember having on one of the episodes, I can't remember which one, I think it might have been, I think it was Classy Christmas, was that if people walk in and they're having a scene and you're shooting them, you have to whip around to get reactions on the other people. Whereas if you're on the other side and they step in front of the camera, so the camera has the deep background of the rest of the office behind the players in the foreground, then you get to follow the action and just rack focus past them, past the plant, past the copy machine and get the reaction. So it's better to be on that side of the axis of shooting because for people who don't know, there's a thing called the line when you're directing and it's the axis between the principal players and you're either on one side of the line or the other side of the line. You can't really play on both sides of the lines. It just would look really jumbled in the human brain. It's just how vision works. So I remember there being a lot of you know, deep conversations. Like, how do we get Steve in further so that the camera stays on this side? So it was very complex. Yeah. One of the other things that I've been thinking about is you and I were theater actors, right? 
Steve, uh, Angela, Oscar were really improv mm -hmm. actors. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Craig Robinson and BJ who were really stand up guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, it seems to me that there's something in what made our ensemble unique that had to do with that. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that before, but I think that's a really good point. People had all of these different backgrounds that kind of suited their characters. And um, I, I don't know exactly how, but I definitely see that all kind of adding into the kind of the jambalaya of, of the ensemble. And also like, remember, we were just post friends, right? This was 2004. And um, everyone was very interesting faces, you know? Even like John Krasinski, who's handsome, was not traditionally handsome in a lot of ways. You know, it's kind of long face and stuff like that, but really interesting and odd faces all around. And that was pretty groundbreaking for the time. You see it more now, but especially for network television at that time, it was just unheard of, all these kind of weirdos. But I think the diversity in our acting backgrounds, people brought different strengths, you know? What do you think made the ensemble so special? You? Well, obviously. I was, I was the main part of that. I think Greg had a lot of experience. So he'd written on Seinfeld and Simpsons and created King of the Hill, of course, but he had been on a lot of other shows. And I think he was very careful to make sure that he wasn't casting any divas and that everyone was a team player and an ensemble player. So I think that one thing that theater and improv gives you is a sense of like, it's not the Rain Wilson show or the Steve Carell show or whatever. It's the, it's about the ensemble. It's like, how do you make other people funnier? How do you play well with others? That was another thing. He, he picked people with also like just really good hearts. Like the people, when you look back on it, everyone is a really good hearted person. Now I've worked on TV shows where that is not the case. In fact, I remember, I forget which director it was. It was a director later on season five or six and they were like, oh my God, I can't believe how much you guys love each other. Like that we hug each other and high five and in between takes, we're just laughing and watching videos and goofing off and um, just a really loving environment. And he goes, I just got back from directing Desperate Housewives. <laughs> it's like <laughs> half the cast is not talking to the other half of the cast. You have to call people out of trailers at certain points in time, but they won't look at each other. They won't do the off-camera work with the other person. It's all this just cattiness and competitiveness and and that that exists on a lot of different shows you kind of you kind of read about it and it's uh it's pretty extraordinary and it wasn't there for us not in the slightest no no yeah um so we have this like we have this collection of characters that are existing within this office and i think when you think about the show that's what you think about and you forget how much change we had like even from from season three and Jim leaving and then um, Karen Filippelli and Andy coming in and yeah. Ed and then Ellie coming in. Like we had sort of a constant revolving door, sure. although not really revolving because not many people left. We just got bigger. Um, I don't know. There's something interesting to me about the energy that was created by Greg constantly changing up and adding cast members right. and making us go on locations. And then later seasons we had uh – Clark Duke and uh, Jake Lacey. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that was really smart. I mean, you know, I think Rashida and Ed Helms, like two of the greatest 
comedy actors of all time coming in was a really needed breath of fresh air in that third season and really helped us a lot. And I think Ellie Kemper, who has proven herself to be one of the great comedians, uh, television personalities, bringing her in in season five or six or whenever it was, um, really helped the show as well. So he was very uh, adept about that, as, as he is in, in all of his decision-making. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I consider you and Steve to be one of, if not the greatest 
comedy duos in the history of television. Wow, that's so sweet of you, Brian. Thank you. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I, I I'm do. serious. I'm serious. That is very sweet of you. I, I do. I, I just kind of want to do a little deep dive into you and he working. How much did you talk about those scenes before you were in the room shooting them? We never talked about scenes. Never, ever. Um, so you talk about the various skill sets that we brought to the equation as actors. So Steve was in Second City. Uh, he was kind of infamously great in Second City. He wrote a lot of their favorite best sketches. He toured with them. He, he had done the Dana Carvey show, and he was just really well-known and super highly respected. And And truly, like, I've worked with a lot of amazing actors over the years before The Office and since The Office. I've never worked with anyone like him before. He can improvise like... It's, it's, it's almost a crime to call it improvisation because he can just be and speak as a character and it's both funny and and pathetic and sad and moving at the same time. And it was just a true honor and marvel to like watch him work. And for me, like, again, I improvise pretty well. But it's not really my bag. My bag is like creating memorable characters. That's how I think of myself as an actor is like, when I die and they show the little thing on the Emmys, the Academy Awards, I want people to go like, oh, wow, he created a lot of really interesting, memorable characters. But it was just about watching Steve go. So I, I thought of us as like, wow, these guys are the loudest podcast engineers I've ever heard in my life. It's unbelievable. Um, I'm just kidding. You know, it's okay. I'll show you how to turn the volume down on the computer, though. The um, So I, I thought of us as like, the vision that I had was like, or the image that I had is like, we're just these different musicians. Like Steve is like this, he's the violin player or he's the alto sax or something. It's like, it's quick, it's mercurial, it's changing. And Dwight is kind of like a little more of the bass. And also I thought part of Dwight's job and part of my job as an actor is just to keep him off balance just a little bit. So I would always vary my timings and sometimes just try and fuck with him. And I'll just all of a sudden say, I could really go for some spaghetti right about now. And he would just never miss a beat. He would spin it into pure gold. So it was it was really a miraculous thing to watch. But I, I think that when a comedy duo is in sync, they're, they know kind of what instruments they're playing. And Dwight, I think sometimes I would try and be the violin, but Dwight was never, that's not his speed. It's not his rhythm. Um, he, he doesn't work in the same way. And it was also really great to just know, like, this is what Steve does. He does it better than anyone else, like on the planet. And I don't need to try and do that. I'll do my thing. My thing is to play kind of the big bass playing weirdo in the corner, you know, in opposition to that. Yeah. Well, that was the thing that always amazed me, which was. He would come in, you know, like in the conference room scenes. These are sides, by the way. These are fake sides. And he would be like, you know, kind of like flipping through and like, okay, and I'm going to move here. And then we would rehearse for like an eight-page scene for about six minutes and then be like, okay, everybody go get dressed and whatever. And then he would put on his suit and finish getting his makeup on and he would walk back in and it was like, boom. He was like fully there. Yep, yep. But I, that's why I wondered if you 
and he ever talked through any more of those things. That was one of the things with Steve that I kind of saw really quick because I wanted to just be respectful to his process and whatnot. Like, he did not want to work stuff out. He did not want to rehearse. He didn't want to, like, talk about it and and stuff like that. I mean, he would if there was there needed to be a change in the writing. He would bring in Greg or Paul or, or Jen or whomever and talk about, like, could we change this? I don't feel like he would say this. He needs to say something more like that. But as far as the acting, it's like it's off. Boom. Starting gun. The horses are off, and you you just go. And it worked really well. Right. Um, it, it occurred to me one of the things that make made you and Steve so unique goes to, not to dismiss this at all, you and John were hilarious together. But you were a much more classical duo. He was the straight man to you. Whereas with you and Steve, you both were crazy idiots, <laughs> right? And still somehow it was made believable and real and hilariously funny without being a competition. It was really like an orchestra, like you said. Yeah. So this is where we could talk shop a little bit because I love the history of clown and of clowning. And it really started with the comedies of the ancient Greeks, you know, like Aristophanes, the frogs, and some of those plays. What's the one where they all have boners? Um, they withhold sex from the men until the men stop the war. Anyone? Um, blanking on the name. Anyway, so it, it all starts back then and then swiftly moves to Commedia dell'arte, which sprang out of, you know, Roman theater. It had these comic tropes and would travel all over Europe. And they always had the dopey clown like Kevin. They had like the weird, intense clown like Dwight. There were these tropes. And basically all of comedy uh, in the Western world, I think, is based off of those tropes from Commedia dell'arte. They influenced, obviously, Moliere and then Shakespeare, vaudeville and clown characters like that. Then moved into, you know, early radio and TV, you know, think about the Honeymooners. And then the early sitcoms and Dick Van Dyke and Meredith Tyler Moore and then on into the later sitcoms. And this constantly evolving process of these archetypal kind of forms that I really view like Michael and Dwight and Dwight and Jim as like two comic duos as being like inheritors of the history of comedy. I don't know exactly how they fit in. Um, certainly, you know, Jim was like the young lover, although he had that great deadpan and got more laughs than anyone else could have gotten in, in that role with his, you know, his looks to the camera and his long-sufferingness and quick-wittedness. But it's the, it's the essence of clown. You studied clown as well yes. and physical theater and stuff like that. Do you... And I know this might sound pretentious as hell to people, but I don't care. Fuck them. What? How do you? How do you feel like it? It played into the the clowns and the physical comedy of The Office. Absolutely. I mean, I think primarily <clears throat> with Kevin and Dwight and Michael. Mm -hmm. um, but no, even Angela, Andy Bernard, mm -hmm. those characters. Absolutely. We all might have had clown noses on when you think about it. You, totally. You could have put clown noses on all of the different characters. And even though it was a documentary and gritty and real and felt like in an office, like it was really happening, documentary style. And that was one of the things that I said to Greg early on into the writer's room, like, I really love physical comedy. And I would really, I think that Dwight really soars when he's doing physical comedy. I really want you to consider writing as much physical comedy for me as possible. And I do think that that's 
when you think of the office, you think of like documentary, uber real, bad lighting, reactions, looking at the camera and stuff like that. But you could do a compilation episode of The Office of like the physical comedy bits, you know, the fire episode and Dwight with Jan's baby carriage or um, parkour and all of this stuff. Like even you having to give me a massage. Do you remember you yeah. climbing up on the wall? Yeah, I was on my get feet on were on the filing cabinet behind you as I was doing that. So um, there's a really a strong constant vein. Like every episode I would say had some at least one or two big bits of physical comedy and involving pain and getting hit and doors slammed in faces and whatnot. And that I don't think that gets quite enough props or attention from people. Well, and and even pretending to be a different character than you are. Right. Right. You, yeah. a number of characters, and Jim and me and when Jim dresses as Dwight and says Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica. And people always say, I want you to write Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica, or if I'm signing a picture or something like that, or say it or something like that. And it's like, Dwight actually never said that. In 200 episodes, Dwight never said Bears Beats Battlestar Galactica. That was Jim as Dwight saying that. I don't say that. I'm not a persnickety asshole going, Dwight never said that. But uh, people should realize that Dwight never actually said that. Wow. I would never have gotten that. I just blew, I would have, I blew your mind. I, no, I never would have gotten that. Yeah. Um, okay, so you have this comedy duo with Steve. When did you find out he was leaving? Um. I knew that Steve was going to get out of there as soon as he possibly could because he had all of these movies that were wanting to pay him 10 and $15 million a pop to go do. So of course he would like, you know, so. um, Did you have reservations about the show existing beyond him? Yeah, I had, I had great reservations about the show existing without Steve. You know, did I think we were going to bomb and fail without Steve? No. Were we going to be hurt by losing one of the greatest comedic actors of all time in the lead character? Of course we were. No one thought otherwise. At the same time, we had a pretty damn great ensemble. You know, Ed Helms at the time was lead in Hangover, which was the biggest comedy ever made. And we had him and he... You know, I didn't think we needed like a Robert California or a Kathy Bates or, you know, a lot of other like big names to bring in at that point. I think we had the ensemble. I wish the creators, and I know they were doing a lot of battling with with NBC at the time because we were starting to slip in our ratings even before Steve left. It's not like we were just on a ratings bonanza all the way through Steve and then Steve left and we were declined. We were in decline for a good year or two with Steve there. But uh, yeah, I knew it was going to... Um, I knew it was going to hurt us, and I knew it was also time for you know all of us to step up in the ensemble and carry more weight. Um, of anyone on set, who would be uh, the most likely to be fired for an HR violation? Ooh, ouch! Um, boy, I would I first wanted to joke and say, oh, that would be me because I told a lot of inappropriate jokes. But at the same time, oh, boy, you've got me stumped on this one. At the same time, for some reason, I'm going to Creed because I would tell inappropriate jokes, but people could always tell like, oh, that's Rain telling a really inappropriate joke. But at the same time, like Creed could tell one 
And I imagine that certain people would kind of go, oh, he, he means it. He's actually going to chop up my body and put me in the trunk of his car or something like that. Or um, So I, I, I would say a tie between me and Creed, maybe. Yeah, okay. I mean, it was Would you really, go with that? Uh, I will now that you say it. It was all about you. I mean, okay. <laughs> you would say things that, I mean, my language can be horrendously bad. I've kept it together somewhat here, but you somehow would put combinations of vulgar words together in a way that even made me uncomfortable and looking around <laughs> like, who heard that? And are we in trouble? Oh my God. But, you know, we made the show before all of this stuff, the Me Too and stuff like that. I hope I was never really... I certainly was never demeaning to anybody or, or, or cruel to anyone um, or, you know, coming on to women in some weird way. It was just like inappropriate jokes. But I heard about some other shows where people like off camera were like dropping their pants and showing their genitals to the person who's on the camera. And that would happen all the time. And everyone thought, oh, this is hysterical, you know, like all the quote unquote hysterical hijinks that would happen that was – Really just straight up harassment. Uh, That's what I always imagine people are wanting us to say about the pranks. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, no, I would, I would moon rain all the time. Yeah. Off yeah. camera. Yeah. And that was, no, we never did anything like that. Um, Steve, and I'm going to talk to him about this, but Steve, he's been quoted and I don't know if it's been paraphrased or whatever, but there's something out there where he has said that the office could not exist today because of the culture of political correctness that exists in television. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think The Office would be a very different show. And I think that having a just colossally inappropriate boss who's making a lot of sexual jokes and innuendos and crossing lines and boundaries, we were sending up kind of a problem that was out there, an issue that was out there. We were shining light on it and poking at it. That's what she said. And I, I do think it would be very problematic in this day and age. How, how do you navigate that? Even if the guy is supposed to be an asshole, how do you navigate him saying just sexist stuff and racist stuff and it's coming out of his mouth and he's just not aware? You, you know, it would have, I, 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 I agree with Steve. I don't think you could do it. I disagree with both of you. I can't. It makes no sense to me. Oh, he took off his glasses. No, he's getting incensed. It makes no sense. No, Brian. No, but see, I just keep thinking he's been paraphrased incorrectly, but then now you just endorsed it. How can what is now the most watched show in television, you're telling me a, an executive is going to turn that down, the potential for that down? Yeah, but this is what I'm saying is that there would be a backlash. For instance, Diversity Day. If you right. had a show right now that was starting out, you know, not the not the office that's a big hit show. If there was a show that was starting out and had a diversity day episode, and people were saying, like, try my googie googie to an Indian person. And if they were saying, uh, I can't drive, are you Asian or are you a woman? And like you were the saying, like, Oh, Rock I'm a Rasta man. I'm doing like like and people were doing that stuff, like there would be a lot of angry people on social media saying, like, this is inappropriate. This is it's having a laugh at these stereotypes. Yes, it's sending them up, but we need to get out of this and we cannot continue to participate. And there would be a huge backlash against it. So I'm not saying like, could you do The Office the office now, but a show like The Office could never take off right now because if it tried to play in the world of what's inappropriate, 
people just don't have a sense of humor about it. And partially for good reason and an understandable reason, and partially, partially not. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Will you play the um, the Pam thing? I thought it was weird when you picked us to make a documentary. But all in all, I think an ordinary paper company like Dunder Mifflin was a great subject for a documentary. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that kind of the point? So to me, that is what Greg says that it was all about. Is that what you think it was all about? Um, yeah, the beauty of ordinary things. I'm going to sound pretentious again, and I'm going to take us back to the theater. But really, my favorite theater artist of all time was Anton Chekhov, the playwright. And Chekhov was 
one of the first, if not the first, that really saw the beauty in ordinary things and in ordinary people. And those, when you define what a Chekhovian moment is, it's a profound moment that's very simple, where hearts are broken over a teacup being passed around, or what's not said, or a longing, and it has some kind of physical manifestation. So I think at its best, I think the office was Chekhovian in that sense, where there was a beauty found in ordinary things. And Chekhov's work has suffused so much of what's happened in theater, TV, and film for the last 120 years. You know, when you think about dramedy, like the word dramedy, half drama, half comedy, like he was the first. You know, you might argue that some of Shakespeare's romance plays kind of fit in that spectrum, but they, they really didn't. He was really the first that was like, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, and now I'm going to laugh a little bit, and I'm going to cry a little bit, and I'm going to laugh and cry a little bit, and it's just going to ride that line between buffoonery and and heartbreak. And I think Greg and the writing staff and and the cast and the directors really knew how to how to milk that. You know, the the example I always give is one of my favorite moments was directed by Paul Lieberstein, who I think is an amazing director um, and a great writer and who played Toby, obviously. Um, I think it was in the episode Money, and it's Dwight and Jim in the stairwell. Dwight is heartbroken over Angela, and Jim gives him some advice, and I forget what it was even. Uh, but Jim gives Dwight some really heartfelt advice, like, you'll get over it, or you go tell her you love her, or something like that, something about Angela. And then Dwight has got his head down in his hands, and Jim slips away, and it's a spy shot of the camera down the stairs. And then Dwight reaches out with his left arm as if he would have put his arm around Jim and like hugged. And it would have been like their first hug ever. And Jim's not there. And he kind of I mean, he looks around and, <laughs> and it's in this awkward moment. But I always think like if Jim hadn't left and if Dwight had just put his arm around Jim, like they might have bonded in a way that wouldn't have allowed the show to go on because they wouldn't have been the nemesis to each other. They would have like connected too deeply. And you can't have that on the show. You want to have them episode after episode after episode not connecting. Um, but to me, it's like that little moment like defined what The Office was. It had absurdity to it, reality to it at the same time. It was based in heartbreak, and then it twisted into something kind of peculiar and odd and awkward. That's really smart. I, no, I mean, you're pretty smart. I'm a smart guy. Yeah, I mean, you know. You're, um, obviously, you started Soul Pancake in 2008. You're a very spiritual person. That's important to you. Yeah. What? Or spiritual do you Spiritual person who tells really inappropriate jokes. The worst. Or you still tell really inappropriate the worst. jokes. The worst. I bite my tongue You now. still do. I don't. Um, do you feel like there was a good that came from the show? Yeah, so you know my my spiritual life and and that world is is like you mentioned is important to me. You know, prayer and meditation and thinking about you know life's big questions and our purpose here and how we can be of service to one another, how I can make myself a better person. All of these big spiritual questions occupy some time and space with me. So I truly believe that at the end of the day, we weren't kind of trying to do this. But I do believe that The Office was a spiritual show. You know, anytime I'm kind of recognized, people will say, thank you for the show. 
it meant so much to me. My parents were getting a divorce or my little brother had cancer and we would watch it together and we would cry. It got me through some of the hardest times. I mean, every day, like people write in on my Facebook, like it got me through such hard times. I was going through depression. I was anxiety and disease issues, whatever, mental health issues. And the office got me through that. And I think that the reason that the office has lasted the way it has is because all great television is unlikely families. And it's the most unlikely family. And you love to be with that family. You, there is something really soothing about showing up, hearing that theme song. You're in that office with these characters that you love. You want to cohabitate with them. You want to work in the office with them. I've talked to so many young people that have said, I want to work in an office just like in Dunder Mifflin. They're like thinking <laughs> that somehow right. that out in the workaday world that it's going to be even remotely like the office right. is the most wrongheaded thing <laughs> known to man. But yeah, I think we made something that ultimately made people laugh, got their minds off their problems, that brought a lot of like comedy and warmth and heart and connection. And that's really what people need now. And so they're they're watching the show. It's not a cynical show. At the end of the day, it's people that do love each other, as weird as it is. And it's been a positive force in the world. I didn't doubt that when we were making it, but I didn't even really think about that when we were making it. But the heart of the show, the heart of Greg Daniels, the heart of all the actors and the writers kind of has lasted. Yeah. What are you the most thankful for? Um, the house that the office bought me. Fair. No, um, no, I'm yeah, no, but that's fair. Oh yeah, no, I yeah yeah, I had been a struggling actor. You know, I got out of acting school eighty nine ninety something like that. So here I am in two thousand four, starting to do the office. So fourteen years of struggling to kind of pay the rent, and then all of a sudden, you know, I had a an actual career. It opened a lot of doors for me. I got to do some cool movie stuff and work with a lot of cool people and be involved in some cool enterprises because of it. And uh, I'm super grateful for that. But yeah, I'm I'm most grateful for the fact that we made a gift for audiences that I think it'll be around for a long time. Why Why is that though? I mean, we've talked about all of these elements that that went into creating the show and why we think it's special and what makes it unique and that, but why now are 11, 12 year old, 14 year old kids watching this show over something else? Oh, there's so many reasons. We've been over a lot of them. Um, sure. It's an unlikely family that is formed um, they're relatable characters. You want to hang out with them. But I also think it's, and Greg always said, like, it's 90% funny, but 10% kind of truthful and moving. And if, if you stay on that, you don't want to go more than 10% because then it starts to get sentimental and maudlin. But it just has that 10% per episode of of reality, of truth, of of, of real connection that that grounds the show, that gives it a lot of heart but also like the style of the comedy, it never tells you when to laugh or that you have to laugh. There's no laugh track. You can choose to laugh at something or not. You know, someone can look at the camera. Some people can find it hysterical. Some people won't. Maybe the third time you watch it, you do find it hysterical and you hadn't the previous time. So you're finding a lot of those details. We talked about the detail that went into positioning the cameras and how you're going to shoot stuff and get reaction shots and 
So th- I also think there's a great amount of detail in there. So it stands up on repeated watchings where a lot of other shows may not because the jokes are kind of hit a little harder. Um, there's so many reasons, but I, I, at the end of the day, I have to think it's just the heart. I mean, I think people just loved those characters and they just feel like they're a de facto family. Okay. So it's been 15 years. Since we shot the pilot, yep. Who shot the pilot? This is about Rain. Okay, Rain Wilson. Here we go. Do you consider your old coworkers family or friends? Remember, Uh-oh. you can choose your friends, but not your family. Oh, wow. That's a profound question. You found a life's big question packed into, uh, packed into the office. God, that's, that's such a good... Um, I don't know. I guess I would answer it like Michael Scott, and he would say, is the office cast my family? Is the office cast my friends? I think they're my family. (laughs) You're a jackass. (laughs) God, you're a jackass. (laughs) Do you want me to be more sincere? No, I love, no, no, are you kidding? I love that. So that's good jackass, not bad jackass. Wait, let let me ask you one more thing. So in doing research for this podcast, I found out that, 52.1 52.1 billion, billion minutes were streamed in 2018 alone. Dear Lord. I guess this is average lifespan. Over 100,000 people watching it for their entire life. What? Oh my God, that's nuts. People just need to get a life. I mean, It wasn't listen, one person. Listeners, I love you all. Thank you for watching The Office. But there's so much else to do. Read a fucking book, people. Written by Rain Wilson? Yeah, I actually, I've written two. Right, so I know. There's, there's a couple. I have. Jenna I've... has written a book. and BJ has, too. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> Mindy. <laughs> Read only books by The Office yeah, cast. <laughs> instead, of, instead of listen to this podcast and read books by people. By, from The Office. From The Office. And buy our merchandise. All right, uh, Rain, I love you. I love you, Brian Baumgartner, and I've missed you so much. I hardly ever see you. Thanks for having me on this show. This promises to be really exciting and cool. I'm so excited for this thing. You started to sound like you were being sarcastic, and then you no. and then you turned genuine halfway that's through. True. Your I'm very, I'm very, I'm. That's kind of my thing. Is like, am I sarcastic? Am I being a dick, or am I being genuine? Kind of writing that line, and um, yeah. Okay, Good. suck my balls. Okay, bye. All right, guys, that is it. Mr. Rain Wilson, I hope that you had as much fun listening to that, uh, to that conversation as I had having it. I don't know if that's not quite right, but whatever. Uh, I enjoyed that so much. Huge thanks to Rain for joining me and talking to me. And bigger, forget Rain, bigger thanks to you for listening. Uh, I will be back next week with more of the goods. We're going to go deeper. We're going to go bigger. We're going to go divier. I don't know. I We know I don't know numbers. I don't know words either, apparently. But we'll see you next week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, 
alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our associate producer is Emily Carr, and our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.